if we're doing like effortful assignments and we have to read all this stuff for tomorrow's class or work on a paper and stuff, and I say, my brain is fried. I <laughs> yeah. can't, like, I can't do any more, right? I, I just totally spent. Beautiful Thinkers podcast. We are the IU edition, and I've got three students with me who are here to interview Dr. Hurt, who is the professor of psychological and brain sciences at IU, as well as the founder of the Hurt Lab. So we would just like to start with saying welcome to the show, Dr. Hurt. Uh, thank you for having me. We wanted to just kind of set the stage and and say, how would you define, you kind of know where we're heading, but how would you define saturation um, in today's day and age? Certainly with the influx of media and so many different types and having it at our fingertips, the thing is how much information, how much do we want to have? Because if it's so readily accessible, I mean, we can have it presumably at any time and anywhere, but the question is, do we have control over that? And do we feel like we're being controlled by it as opposed to, to, to being in control of how much we consume and how much we're exposed to, et cetera? And so I think that's a challenge that so many of us feel throughout our days and uh, feel sometimes like we've lost control and we're being slaves to our social media and to our email and to all those different kinds of things that impinge on our time and our attention. That's exactly where we're coming at it from. So we appreciate that. seems like we're very aligned. One of the reasons I think the students chose you was because you study mental depletion. And, you know, that's that's kind of the best definition of what we're after here. And so we just wanted to have you talk a little bit about the idea of mental depletion versus physical depletion and just through the lens of all media that is coming into us every day. Yeah. So let me give you a little history on the whole mental depletion thing, because I think it's interesting. And the way you framed it is actually very, very important, because I think when the concept was introduced, it was about 20 years ago or something in our field where this topic became really hot and interesting, there was this presentation of the idea that we feel this sense that we have very limited mental resources and that there will be moments after we expend our resources doing something that requires effort. Um, and they typically framed it in terms of something that requires self-control. So you're trying to stop yourself from doing something that you're attracted to. So I'm on a diet and I really want to eat that donut and, or, you know, there's a spread out and I don't want to break my diet, but it's, it's looming there. And so I'm having a lot of difficulty holding back and I'm feeling like this is really effortful to me that I am going to have this experience where I'm going to feel depleted, right? I am mm -hmm. going to have this situation where I'm mentally tired and I will feel like I am not at my best, that I need to take a break, that I am in some ways spent. And I think as students, we often talked about this where if we're doing like effortful assignments and we have to read all this stuff for tomorrow's class or work on a paper and stuff, and I say, my brain is fried. <laughs> yeah. I can't like I can't do any more, right? I, I just totally spent. Well, what is that? Well, we gave it a label. And so that's what we mean by that mental depletion where we really feel like I can no longer 
perform effectively and I need a break. Just to call back to what you're saying about your, you know, your brain being fried and the correlation between physical and mental depletion. It's kind of funny how you can sit on your butt all day, really not doing anything physical, but you're still so mentally drained. Can you just talk about how has social media reframed the idea of effort? The thing that's interesting, I think, that we sort of began with is how much of our sense of depletion is so much a function of how we frame things. Because Mm. I think that some activities that we do, we frame as work. This is something I have to do. This is something that's tedious. This is something that I frame kind of as something that is effortful. I could take a similar activity, which may take the same amount of physical or less physical activity or whatever, and I might frame it as a pastime, a hobby, something that's pleasurable, something that's even a leisure activity. So, for example, one of the things that we used to always talk about is that how do people, if they're feeling depletion, decide to take a break? Mm. And some people feel like they have to take a nap, right? I want to rest. I want to just veg out on the couch and watch TV. Other people go and exercise. What the hell is up with that? (laughs) Like, literally, I'm fatigued mentally. So what am I going to do? I'm going to fatigue myself physically and see that as a respite. <laughs> I see that as a break. Now that I can go back to work after I've gotten this walk or I've gotten this physical activity and stuff. And so we were just so intrigued by that idea of what people consider to be effort and depleting as opposed to, to things that potentially are rejuvenating and pleasurable and something that I don't have problems what you know like doing i could do them forever kind of thing and stuff and so it's just interesting how that's so variable for different people because again we knew some people who would be like i would never go for a run as something that's pleasurable right i mean that's that's i you do a treadmill it's an activity that i gotta do as my like cardio or that's a work right and it's i can't wait for it to be over and stuff as opposed to somebody who finds it like oh yeah i'm clearing my head and i see this as a as, as something that, that actually is a respite. So it's just interesting to think about that if just so much of it is in our head and how we frame things. And I think what what we're attracted to is, is partly our own interpretation of how we sort of feel engaging in an activity and what it does for me, right? Initially, I thought you were saying that it would actually support your case that mental and physical depletion are different, but you're talking about mental to mental. It's not, not necessarily, which is super interesting. So about how you frame it. And so that's why I think it's really interesting as we think about consuming social media and stuff. It is effortful to process all that stuff. But part of it is is like, am I deciding to do this? And do I see this as enjoyable and pleasant and something I want to do, as opposed to feeling, as we said, like earlier, like controlled by it and this stuff, I can't get away from it. And I feel like I have to do it. And I, you know, feel like it's kind of overwhelming me. And now it feels much work, more work-like and something I want to get away from as opposed to something I feel like I want to do and want to continue enjoying and stuff like that. You guys relate to that? Totally. Most definitely. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting what you talk about in regards to framing and needing this frame of a perfect identity or a perfect life. And I feel like social media really exacerbates that notion because you can hide behind a screen. So I kind of want to bring up your idea of framing with just identity in general. Like, I feel like you talk about you're needing these things to feed your identity, whether that's, you know, when you get depleted from things that feed it online, you can do things that feed it 
in the physical world. How do you think people can bridge the gap between the perception of their online self versus their offline self and who they really are as a person? I think part of it is to think about how we even cultivate that online self or online identity, right? I mean, because that's a a huge part of it. And we know that people are very strategic and choose to present photos and information and share things that they are willing to make public and to, to do, you know, I mean, the identity work that they want to do and cultivate it in their social media, whatever responses and likes and things that they upload. So I think there's a lot of effortfulness to that. But then I think the thing that we think more about is the idea of us reacting to the stuff that we're exposed to, right? Because again, we judge ourselves relative to what we see from everybody else. And so everybody else seems to be having more fun than us or doing more, you know, wonderful activities or seems to be happier in their life or they have more responses and likes and comments than I do to my uploads and my photos and things I share and stuff. And so, you know, why am I not as popular as them or, you know, what, what what's wrong with me, et cetera. And so that's a whole different element, but obviously all that negotiation of that, both in terms of cultivating it and then evaluating it always, you know, against what you see from other people and stuff or how they respond to things that you put up there and stuff are all things that, again, are effortful things that are fatiguing for many people. And it it is a job in some ways that many of us feel like we have and are constantly working at as opposed to you know we would hope that there's some people who just post stuff and don't think about i mean you know they don't work that they're not working that hard at that they're just sharing and you know it's just what i feel like it as opposed to i'm obligated to do this i don't think there's many of us that don't evaluate ourselves relative to what we see i don't think that's very much a normal human activity not of being completely impervious to that god bless somebody who is but yeah i don't think most of us can say that we're in that camp Yes, if we're telling the truth. And that's actually a really good segue because I know Wyatt had a um, question for you that pertains perfectly to that. We talked a lot about mental depletion and the ways that it can affect someone. My question for you is in what ways do mental health and mental depletion correlate? Could they be considered one and the same or are they two completely different things? I would really say they're two completely different things because we think of mental depletion as a state that happens as we are utilizing whatever body of of mental resources we have. And that the presumption with the whole mental depletion framework is that we have some limitations to our mental system. We can't do everything and we can't go forever. And so at some point we are going to tax that system, fatigue that system to the point where we need to take a break, we need to replenish, we need to rest the system and give ourselves an ability to kind of, again, regroup and drawing that analogy to the physical system, kind of, again, giving our muscles a chance to rest and relax and replenish and stuff. So that that is just true of anybody, although there is some sense that maybe it is something we could work at and improve those resources so we don't get as fatigued as rapidly, maybe. But I will tell you, there hasn't been a lot of work on that because I think people have been more interested in the consequences of depletion than exactly how we get to that experience. So that that is an interesting thing if we wanted to go there and think about whether that is something you could work at and get better at. But at least conceptually, it makes sense that if you really 
work at things, just like if you work at physical, kind of maybe you can increase your strength and endurance and stuff like that, that you would have more mental endurance to be able to do things. Mm. But the thing is, getting depleted something that has any ramifications for mental health. And that's where a lot of people in our field have been very interested because the important consequence that I think most of us consider to be associated with depletion is that when we're in that depleted state and we need rest, if we still have to keep going or we still have to do things while we are depleted, somehow our performance is going to be compromised. Mm. And when we think of a lot of the things that we have to do in our lives, what kind of things are we going to see that people do more of when they're depleted? So for example, people will say really inappropriate things to other people because they're not guarding themselves and thinking about others' feelings, right? That they will be more prejudiced, they will be more aggressive. So we think of like, you know, people's behavior in terms of how tolerant they are when somebody else cuts them off in traffic or somebody doesn't pay attention to them when they're waiting in line or something like that, that they might get more aggressive or they might insult somebody or fly off the handle more. Because again, those are things that require us to sort of control ourselves, to exert self-control and to be more disciplined and things like that. And so those things won't happen as well when people are depleted as when they're not. You know, I guess if we think of being in a civilized society, it does take some control of our impulses and things like that to do things for other people and to be egalitarian and things like that. And so, you know, being depleted probably makes us behave more in line with self-interest and not really doing probably the, the thing that we would say we would like to be. You know, does that mean that their mental health will be poor? Only if they reflect on the fact that they're doing that a lot because they're deplete. You know what I mean? It's like all of a sudden you realize that I'm not the person I want to be or I'm getting a lot of negative responses from other people because, again, I'm not behaving in the manner that's expected of me, that I'm not living up to others' goals and expectations of me and stuff. And so that that presumably could have some negative consequences downstream. I find it very common that when kids our age come home from a long day of school or work, it's very easy to just lay in bed and escape into your phone. So what do you think about having so much accessibility to this digital space? That's great because it really gets at an interesting construct, which is that of like, what do we do when we're fatigued? And we typically fall back on things that are the easiest or what we would call like our default. And as you said, what's the default in this day and age? It's to go to your phone. I mean, we have our phones with us 24 seven. We have it with us all the time. And so the easiest thing is just use this as a means of filling dead time. I mean, if we're sitting in a waiting room, what are we doing? We're on our phone, right? We're gonna check our phone because it's something to do. I mean, the TV could be on and that could be another thing that we could do, but we could do all kinds of things and people have other choices that they could do, but typically we have to think about them as mm. as, as viable options and choose them over the default. We're super uh, interested in your work and we're specifically interested in it because it's made up of students, uh, undergrads and graduates. So I'm wondering how that kind of tailors your guys's research and maybe if there's some specific studies that you've done that relates to our topic of being saturated in this media space. Well, I got here, <laughs> I'm showing my age here, I got here to Indiana University in the early 90s. I've had a lab here for now like literally 30 years. And it's changed. I mean, obviously it's hard to do, you're not doing exactly the same work you did 
years ago because the field changes and the questions you're interested in change and things like that. But certainly I've had always a longstanding interest in what motivates people and why you know, some people are able to to just be super effective at things and why it's such a struggle for others of us and how that differs, you know, both within individuals, but also in activities that we're doing. Like, you know, you might have no trouble working really hard at this, but something else, it's just like, ugh, just can't get myself to do this, or I just am really frustrated with this and I want to quit, you know, versus I'll persist at something. And, and, and so that has always just been a longstanding interest. And this concept of depletion certainly was one that fit into that really, really nicely to try to understand one of the root causes as to why people often are really disappointed with their performance or can't live up to, you know, what they expect and hope to be able to achieve and what might be some ways of, of being able to counteract that. Dr. Hurt, what sparked your interest in the idea of depletion? Do you have something that you went through in your life or experience that made you want to investigate into this topic? The idea that you say there's a real life thing, yes, I will admit that this was something, and, and again, I'll allude back to that relationship that I have with Josh, is that we talked a lot about this particular experience. And that was what got us started in working on this question. And he was the original grad student who started it with me was this experience where you go up to somebody and you say, wow, you look really tired today. <laughs> and you go, wow. And then you start reflecting on yourself and go, am I? And it's like, all of a sudden you start selectively remembering things that have happened to you in the past few hours or last day that's like, yeah, I didn't really sleep that well and I haven't eaten in a while or, you know, this kind of thing happened or whatever. And so it's like, yeah, maybe I am. And then somebody else could go like, you look like really energetic today. And it's like, I could do probably the same thing and sort of say, yeah, you know, you had a good day. I had fun with my dog today and stuff like that. And this good, you know, good thing happened. I got some good news about stuff. So yeah, I am feeling pretty energized and ready to take on the the world or whatever. And it just seemed like it's so subjective. And so the idea was: Is there a reality that we are really fatigued and feeling like mental fatigue, or how much of this is really literally something that we have in our heads? And so we just played around with that idea a lot, and everybody was sort of treating it as a real thing. And our perspective and what mm. kind of helped us get some notoriety in here was we were able to show that you can have people do the exact same thing. And for some people, they're really fatigued by it. And other people feel like, no, no I can keep going on. And we could really manipulate that by just giving them different kind of cues in the situation to say, you know, wow, you're doing a lot better than most people, or you seem to be like relatively fallen behind, like what most people accomplish in this unit of time and stuff. And it's like, oh yeah, I just, you know, I'm really tired out or I'm, no, no, I'm really good. You know, I want to keep going at this and stuff. And just simple things like that can create energy in you and the ability to persist versus be like, no, no, got to stop. I'm done. This isn't, this isn't working out. And, and I, I'm tired and, and, and fatigued by this and stuff. And so is it boredom? Is it accomplishment? and stuff that may be part of it but we actually found that the, the mental reported fatigue that people had the amount of energy and how much they felt like they could keep doing and how their performance would be and stuff could really be changed by those simple kinds of things and it's like they did the exact same thing for the exact amount of time so the amount of actual expenditure is the same and yet they can feel very very different I feel like that's something that we see a lot on social media specifically I mean you can easily be affected 
your mood can be affected by the things that you're seeing or maybe if someone is posting a very exciting thing maybe you start to feel like oh i need to go do something that'll give me that feeling a lot of it is dictated by what we're confronted with and how much other sort of information we we sort of use as a context in which to judge those things and i think yeah. right look at what other people are doing and experiencing and stuff like that that makes us feel like where i should be and what i should be feeling and what i should be doing as opposed to like or oh, relativity I'm, like I'm, oh my gosh their life is terrible my life's not so bad you know i mean it can like it, it can yeah. it can go up or down and i think that's one of the things we were talking about earlier it just reminded me of you know we use the words digest what are you digesting we use you know the words media diet we use the words detox and so it is an interesting phenomena that we are literally ingesting these things and and then responding to them just to like bring it to present day what's going on in israel right now we were talking about earlier how we don't even want to go on social media right now because while it can make us feel like oh look at us we're safe you know that's not happening where we're living at the same time it's like extremely depressing and distressing because we can't really do anything about it. One of the big aspects of depletion is emotion regulation is the biggest mm. one though, I think, that we all have to deal with because we wanna be happy all the time. That's mm. what we're told, we should be happy. We should be pursuing happiness. And so the idea for many people is only post happy things, right? No one wants to know about your problems, right? right? We should be doing that all the time and that we should really try to suppress or avoid anything which will make us feel bad. Mm. Anything that will make us have to deal with stuff that's ugly. And so, as you said, there are a lot of people who don't want to deal with some of these things because it makes me depressed, right? That there are these things happening in the world that I can do nothing about, or these people are being, you know, harmed and they're you civilians and it's kids and stuff like that. And I feel helpless. But at the same time, should we, I mean, should we only want to be happy? Should we be trying to regulate those emotions or is that part of the human experience? And so have we sort of bought this idea that we shouldn't have the range of emotions. We shouldn't have negative emotions ever and things like that. And is that some of the kinds of thing that's that's really a problematic that social media has played into? I also wonder, Dr. Hurt, I mean, like I, I watch, you know, this generation and these students, and I feel like they were really raised on this idea of actions and activities and like you got to do something Whereas I would say my generation was more about maybe how you thought about something. So I'm just curious, do you see that delineation or do you think there's something to that for this generation? Certainly one of the things that we've seen in our field is that people don't want to just like, I mean, a lot of times they think of us as sort of egg-headed academics that we're just interested in theories and ideas yeah. and stuff like that. But it's like, what is the bottom line? Like, what 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 does this mean in real life? Like, show me like how it really applies to real life or show me what I can do. And again, what kind of things I can do to solve particular problems and stuff. And so I think that's been a positive thing mm -hmm. in the sense of just pushing people to have to be more pragmatic and thinking about that. But I think sometimes we jump to that without necessarily understanding things completely mm. and sort of feel like we want to go to that so quickly that at some point it may be premature and it may not be the best thing. So I, I think there's a balance there that I think we may have swung the pendulum a little bit so much in that, that that's the stuff that's valued and that's seen as you know good and the other stuff is seen as sort of a waste of time or whatever and not really or complacency. That I think yeah. there is a place for both of it. So, so I think that that has been a challenge, but I think I have appreciated that in the students that I have 
this day and age that I don't feel like was as obvious and previous at least decades that that people want to know that and want to ask that kind of question about how we then apply that. I guess the last thing I would ask you that I always ask everybody is how would you define beautiful thinking? Hmm. Well, I mean, it's trite to say beauty's in the eye of the beholder so that, that there's no objective like thing of that. But I certainly think that there's a satisfaction in when something has been considered to be beautiful that has a constellation of emotions that really cannot be matched by anything else. Mm. One of the things our field has embraced, which I think is so fascinating, people didn't study this for years, years and years, is the emotion of awe. And we knew about it, but nobody actually talked about it or was interested in it. But when you talk about what's what inspires awe in you, and you think about those things, and it is so amazing. There's a lot of consensus on it, but there's differences. But the thing is, when people feel that, it's all encompassing. It really is transcendent to people. Like, you know, when people say, beautiful nature scene will do this for me. Or for many of us, we love animals. And so seeing a puppy or a little anything, like a zoo animal or something like that. I love red pandas. I mean, if I see a little red panda thing, it like makes your day, right? I mean, it's just, it's just so like... God, I mean, whether you go to religious things and just say God is amazing, right, that to make a creature like this, or whether you just feel like there are things that are wonderful in the world that make you, they kind of help you navigate all the, the bullshit, right? You know, and if we could bottle that and have that when we need it, you know, it's like, yeah, that's, that, I, I think we could have a pretty satisfying life. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode. This episode was created and produced at the IU Media School as part of the Beautiful Thinkers podcast, IU Edition. To follow along this season, check out the Beautiful Thinkers on Instagram and TikTok. Special thanks to Natalie Ingalls for our music and the students who researched and recorded the episode. Mina Denny, Kat DeSantis, and Wyatt Hall. <laughs>